So anybody out here fans of Instagram, Instagram warriors in the house? Yeah, just a few. Some of you are like, eh, maybe. If you get on Instagram, what you'll find, if you look up hashtag blessed, here's what you'll find. Over 150 million uses of that hashtag, hashtag blessed. Some of you today have probably even used that hashtag in some connection to maybe a graduation, maybe a child, maybe just a win or a success in your life. If you look it up like on Instagram, what you end up finding is a bunch of like really buff dudes that are like doing selfies are like blessed. And we're like, what are we blessed about? What does that mean? And so really you get to see all throughout Instagram what our world and what our culture says that it means to be blessed. And even today, you can even ask that same question for your own life. What does it mean to be blessed? What does that, what does that mean? And where it really gets difficult is when we think about all of these pictures is that, is that this hashtag seems to only say or seems to say this is the only way to be blessed. Whatever it looks like on Instagram, multiple different ways, but it's continued to shape out what, what the world would call the good life. And let's kind of ask this question for us today is, have we defined the good life as one of abundance, power, popularity, or success? Is this the good life? Is this the blessed life? And here's where I'm going to make some tension points for you today. I want you to imagine today that there's a mom, a single working mom that just lost her job, that sees the mortgage coming, that she doesn't have enough money in the bank to cover. She sees the empty pantry who now has to provide groceries for her and her kids. And she can feel just within herself the struggle of like, I don't know how I'm going to make this. And here's the question I want you to ask yourself today. What should she say for her hashtag? What should it be? Hashtag not blessed? Hashtag cursed? What should it be? This is the question that we really want to frame today. Or imagine you have the new widow who just recently lost her husband to a tragic accident, what should she say? She tells her story online, hashtag what? Not blessed? Or continue to play it out to the physically poor, to literally the people that don't have any food in their cupboards, no food, no provision, literally without, what should they say? Should they say that their life is blessed or not blessed? Or what about the addict or the prostitute? The ones that feels like they are trapped or in bondage or trying every single way to get clean and get free, but yet are struggling. What should we say? This is the tension point of today. What does it really mean to be blessed? And I'm not asking the culture, but what we're going to be looking at throughout this entire series is called the blessings or the beatitudes. And Jesus, in these few verses, are really challenging us that blessed may not mean what you think. That blessed may not mean what you think. The Beatitudes or the blessing are not focused on what we are to do. Rather, they describe the blessings. They describe what the real good life is, what the blessed life is, and really answer the question, who is really well off? In a society that we live in and that they would have lived in during this time, 
where success, wealth, power, they were seen as indicators of bless, blessings. Jesus, in a few words, turns the conventional wisdom on its head. Now, before we go forward today, I want to go backwards in the things that Jesus said. We're going to be picking up in Matthew 5 today, looking at the Beatitudes, but I want to go backwards. What did Jesus say? What did his ministry say in the very beginning? If you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 4. And you'll find in verse 17, Jesus, that he came, Jesus, a real person, not just this, this figurative fiction person that's been built up over time. No, a real person. This is what the Bible is testament to, that is talking about his life, the gospel. According to Matthew, all that Jesus had did, all that Jesus did throughout his life encapsulated here in this verse. A real person. It says in verse 17 that Jesus, from the time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, rethink, metanoia, change your perspective, change your mind. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he continues on in verse 23 as he talks about what this ministry would have looked like, what the kingdom would have been like. It says, They went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from, from beyond the Jordan. And then Jesus makes a transition here. He says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, it's saying he sat down, he was about to take the position of a teacher. Teachers during the time would not stand like this, but they would actually sit. And he was about to address his disciples and the crowd that came near. And he's about to give them a new identity, a new calling, a new description of what it means to be blessed. When he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened up his mouth and he taught them saying, you find it here in verse 5, Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs are the kingdom of heaven. Well, let's look this slowly, just through these words that Jesus has spoke here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We well, he says this word first, blessed, blessed. And so we've had an inclination of what blessed mean throughout our culture and throughout our life. But Jesus says here, blessed. What did blessed mean during this time? Well, there's different interpretations. being happy, fortunate. Some would even call it that you are approved by God, that you have right relationship with him. Some have even put it to divine favor. But there's a new way we've seen this being described that I think connects with us, that it is well with. So blessed the connection point, it is well with. And here's what's so fun today. It is well with who? It is well with not the rich, but who's to say? The poor. It is well with the poor. Now, here in Carter County and the surrounding counties, really all of eastern Kentucky, there is one thing that many of us know 
and that many of us have have in common is that is poverty. This area knows what it means to be poor. As I talked to my grandfather, whenever he was being raised here in eastern Kentucky, said he lived in a 250 foot or 250 square foot shack, essentially, about the size of the first three to four rows, with his parents and nine brothers and sisters. Come on now. Could you imagine that? That would be crazy, crazy. And they were so poor, he said, that our clothes would literally come from the potato sacks that would, that would, become, that would be given by his provisions or his just leftovers, anything they would find, that literally they would have to, in the winter, stuff their home, the cracks in their home, with anything they could find, newspapers, grass. He talked about his bed that he would sleep on. was not like Tempur-Pedic or memory foam, but was literally just cut hay that was used as the, the bedding in which he lived. You're talking about, my friends, that of poverty. In 1950, that was when he was being raised. Now, today, we know what poverty is. We see poverty all around. It's just take a few back roads in Carter County, and you will see people living in poverty. Across the entire world, you see poverty at play. And really, there's two indicators of what poverty could be. Do you have clean running water? Do you have food in your house? And we'll find many in the world cannot answer those two questions with a yes. In Carter County, many, many families cannot answer those two questions with a yes. We can look in Carter County. Do you have sufficient heat in the winter? To many, you would find no. Do you have clothes and shoes? And many to that would even say no. And here's what I want to bring to life is that poverty is a real and tangible thing that many of us in this room have either experienced or are experiencing today. To those in the text today, those that were a part of the crowd, listen, they were from Jerusalem, or they were from a, city, a township called Galilee. Galilee. Imagine this whole area like eastern Kentucky. And this wasn't the Jerusalem, okay? Or it wasn't the Lexington. You know what I mean? It's like, here's Lexington, the central hub of Kentucky, you know, the good place to live. And then here we are in eastern Kentucky. And where they lived in Galilee, there's this town called Nazareth. And Nazareth was literally proclaimed as, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Have we heard that before? How many have heard, can anything good come out of Carter County? Some of you have even said that. You need to repent today for saying those words. Can anything good come out of Carter County? That's what we're talking about. An impoverished area where oftentimes it's seen on the outskirts and from those outsiders as if nothing good can come from it. A impoverished area. But they were experiencing poverty to a level of which we have not seen, that many of us have not seen. You see, they were not free people. They were oppressed people. They were oppressed by the Roman government who would lay heavy, heavy taxes upon them to where literally if it was a decision to many of them of whether or not they had to pay taxes to the Roman authorities or feed their kids, but both probably had the same consequences, which was death. This was who we were talking about. This is the crowd. So do they know poverty? Yes. Do we know poverty? Yes, in many, many ways around this area. Socioeconomically, this is what many have experienced and are experiencing today. Well, what is it that most people seek who are in poverty? The answer is really simple, to be rich. 
And to be rich doesn't mean millions of dollars or even hundreds of thousands of dollars, but just to be rich is to have plenty, to have more than enough. That is what many people would seek, to not have to go home and worry about where the next meal may come from or worry about where you may have to find new clothes for your kids or clothes at all for your kids. What is it that they want? They want to have enough. They want to be enough. But we find here that Jesus does not say, blessed are the rich, does he? Don't you wish it said that? Blessed are the rich? Here in in America, we would be classified as some of the richest people in all of the world. And you don't have to have a lot to be considered rich. But he doesn't say blessed are the rich. Actually, in Luke's description of the Beatitudes, it says, continues to says, woe to the rich. And it's as if Jesus is setting up this, this flip that the first in the order of the world may very well be the last in the kingdom of God. And really, Jesus, though, is painting this picture. He doesn't say, blessed are the rich. But then he also, if you notice, he doesn't make this statement to where we have to run with it. That says, poverty does not guarantee spirituality. That just because you are poor doesn't mean that you are spiritual. Just because you are poor doesn't mean that you are blessed in the eyes of God. But it also doesn't say that just because you are rich that you are blessed either. So let's look back a little bit of the context. See, the poor in Judaism, to this culture, it ultimately referred to those who understood that they were in desperate need, who were helpless, and were dependent. And in their helplessness and their dependency and their desperation, they called out to somebody. Now, in the text that we see up to this point, we can look in the Psalms. Psalms 34 begins to paint a picture. What would the poor in Judaism, who would they have called out for? Who would they have sought to fulfill their needs? It looks here. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. It says those, this poor man, those that are identifying in this text, they cried and the Lord heard him and saved him of all of his troubles. And the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. This is the poor in this text. Who was it that they sought? The Lord as their deliverer, their savior. Continues on, Psalms 40, 17, gives us this picture. As for me, I am poor and needy, this understanding of desperation. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help. You are my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Now, this was the Judaism. These were the Jewish people in this culture, in this time. Who do they look to? They look to the Lord. Here's the question that I want to ask you. In this season of your life, maybe in a season of poverty, or we could ask larger over our culture, those who are in poverty, who do they seek to deliver them? Who do they seek? Because we would probably scoff at this and we would say, what, you seek God for your deliverer? But throughout our culture, who do we seek? Well, let's see a couple of different ways. How do people get out of poverty? Where do they find themselves to be delivered? Where do they hope deliverance come from? Some would steal. That'd be a great place to start, right? Those that find themselves in poverty, why not just steal your way 
to success. That can happen in a multitude of different ways. Some would even just call it simply greed as being the driving factor of always wanting more and more no matter who it affects. Maybe there would be some where you just look to share, share with others, or hoping that somebody shares with you. That's where you see this picture of a beggar that literally is asking for somebody to help. Then you see throughout this text, there probably would have been a few prostitutes that didn't step into prostitution out of a desire, but out of necessity, where they literally were selling their bodies so that they could have provision for their family or for others. Who do you look to for deliverance? Maybe it's someone else, a friend, a family member, or maybe like many of us here today, what do we do? We look to something. We look to something else to deliver us. Our work, our careers, our success, our education. We're always looking at some different angle of a way in which we can deliver ourselves out of this poverty. But Matthew's version of the Beatitudes doesn't just say poor. This regard is very important. It says poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And this is a really simple question. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, to answer that question, I'm going to look at what it may be the opposite of being poor in spirit because we're much more familiar with that part. If we look throughout our culture, what would be the opposite of poor in spirit? This is just a little bit of my thoughts and some guesses. Our culture ultimately emphasizes a few things that it really and strongly places belief in self-reliance, self-confidence, and self-expression. That if you want to get ahead in this world, that if you want to find yourself in a better situation than others, then simply believe in yourself. That you have the power, you have the confidence, you have the ability, you have the know-how to change your situation. In the country, we just call it pull yourself up by your bootstraps, Right? The no boots had straps. Some of you are like, yeah, they do, right? That's how we do it. And ultimately what we get to see here is this picture of the kingdom really isn't about God's kingdom, but then becomes about our kingdom. That all that we seek to accomplish and do is really building up our own kingdom. Like our successes, our achievements, our wealth. That it really no longer becomes about God's kingdom, but it becomes about ours. And then there becomes this boasting that happens in our culture of our self-sufficiency, of our achievements. And we may throw in a little bit of, like, of, of, of honor to God as like this idea of which he's favored you in some way. But really all you have is because of your own self-sufficiency. And we pride ourselves on that thing. You see, the rich and the powerful... Throughout the Gospels, throughout the letters, here's what's fascinating, is that they rarely, rarely receive the message. Oftentimes you see the rich and the powerful neglect the message of the kingdom of God. They do not repent. They oftentimes do not find themselves before Jesus excited or looking for him as their king. Rarely do you see this. Why? Why? You already know the answer, pride. Ultimately, at the heart of everything that pulls us to our kingdom and away from God's kingdom is our pride. It's the struggle that I have. It's the struggle that many of you have. We are a very, very prideful generation. 
a very prideful culture. And this is nothing new. It's the same story here. We love our self-righteousness and our self-sufficiency. We live on it. We build our lives upon it. But Jesus says here that that may be the opposite of what I'm talking about. That not to be poor, not to be rich in your achievements or your pride, but he actually says, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So now let's talk about it. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? And here's what I want you to picture today is that your whole life is like this cup and it's full. And it's been filled up with all sorts of different things. Let's continue on the trend. What have you filled it up with? Your achievements, your good behavior, your successes, your education, your family history, whatever it may be, it is here today and it is filled, all right? Everybody, you can just imagine. Fill your cup, right? It's there, right in your hand. And here's what it means to be in poor in spirit. I think, I think this is what the text is pointing to and what is going to be speaking to us in our life. Imagine the poor in spirit is an emptying. It's an emptying. What happens if you flip a cup over that's full of water? That's right. Gone. It's gone. Imagine taking a tote of toys and you just flip it over on the side and you just begin to see what is now in the tote? Nothing. It is completely and totally empty. And here's what I think that we're looking at in this text is that Jesus is saying that, that blessed are the ones that do not bring their full cup to the Lord, but bring an empty cup, an empty cup, that they are completely and totally empty. And here's where I believe the text is taking us and where it's going to be challenging for us is that in the kingdom, we cannot be filled until we are first emptied. That we cannot be filled until we are first emptied. Each and every single one of us, as we look at this text, as we look at the blessings that come, that the spiritually empty, they are emptied of self-confidence, self-importance, and self-righteousness. And here's what's beautiful is that the, that the Gospels and, and the New Testament gives us some examples of what this actually looks like. As we look at the Apostle Peter, see the Apostle Peter, he's a naturally aggressive, very self-assertive gentleman, self-confident. He was a modern man just brimful of confidence. He's like the Carhartt guy. He's like a Carhartt man. You know what I'm talking about? Not like the new age Carhartt, but like, like the Carhartt that your dad wore. Imagine that. That's Peter. Strong, assertive, confident. But when you find Peter in the presence of the Lord, you find him down on his knees. When he sees the Lord for the first time on the boat, you find him down on his knees and he proclaims these words. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. A complete emptying of all that he is before God. Paul is another great example that we can see. Paul had great power. He had a great education, the best education that you could have at that time. But he had a fight that he had to wage war against, and the fight was against pride. How do you know that? Because throughout his writings, he uses this word boast. Boast is, is to like shout from a mountaintop. Like all that. And we would do this boast of our achievements, boast of our successes. But you actually find that he doesn't boast in any of these things. In Philippians 3, 4 through 6, we get a picture of what Paul boasted in or what he would have said he could have boasted in. 
He said, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And we can resonate with that because we look at this, our lives and say, this is what I have confidence in. And you can make a whole list. This is his list. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. It's like he was the best of the best. And how do you know that? His zeal, his passion for the Lord, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, under the law, blameless. This is where he finds himself. But he says of all of these things, of all of his resume, that he says, I do not boast in any of this. And he goes on in verse 7, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from that comes through faith that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death and then he finishes this that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This, my friends, is the, the position of the man who is poor in spirit, who has emptied himself of all confidence in the flesh, of all confidence of his own righteousness and right standing. But I believe it becomes no clearer than in a parable that Jesus speaks in Luke 18. In Luke 18, he gives this parable that I think really hits home what it means to be poor in spirit. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. I believe this is the crowd. This is us. Trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He said two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee being the best of the best. The brightest, the most holy is what they would say in, throughout Scripture. And then this tax collector, the worst of the worst, the outsider. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. This is going to really, I think, be challenging for me and for you, is that oftentimes I think that whenever we put the hashtag blessed on any post, that what really what we're saying, I think there is this thankfulness of God, but it's more so like, God, thank you that I'm not like this person. That whenever you think about the blessings in your life, and we put them in connection with how the world sees them, what we are really saying is, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like him. Thank you that I'm not in that struggle, or that I'm not in that addiction, or that I'm not in that circumstance. I think it's so easy for us to see that our blessings, that or what we say, thank you, God, for, is really in disguise of just, God, thank you, I'm not like them. And some of you, that may really hit home today. This Pharisee says this, thank you, I'm not like other men. And who's he, compare, who's he say? To the extortioners. 
to the unjust, to the adulterers, or even like this tax collector. If he points him in the back, at least I'm not like him. And God, just so we know and just so we're clear, I want to remind you of all the good things that I do, of how I live. I fast twice a week, God. I give tithes of all that I get. This proclamation, this praise, this self-righteousness. And then there's this picture that comes next of the tax collector who's standing far off, who would not even lift his head as he comes into prayer, would not lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You can see in clear, clearness in this picture and as the examples we see, the poor in spirit, the poor in spirit being seen. And what does Jesus say about them? What does he say? He said, I will tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, for Matthew, the poor in spirit are those who find themselves waiting empty-handed upon God alone for their hope and deliverance. It's the lowly. It's the humble. Now, here's what lowly and humble does not mean. It is not a confession that a man is insignificant. That's the way we like to lean when we think about humble and lowly. Like we like to call ourselves insignificant or that we have no value. That's not at all what humble and loneliness means. But it's a general confession of man's need for God. And you can imagine this illustration. Imagine that, that there is a mountain that you must climb. Some of us have, within the church, if anybody is willing and, and wants a great challenge, many of us are signing up for the Carter Caves Half Marathon, where you literally run, <laughs> kind of run, I don't even know if that's possible, through the mountains of Carter Caves, imagine. And there's a part that comes about mile eight to where you cross the swinging bridge and you are faced with literally a hill that is like that. And it's as if God created this hill with a little bit of a plateau for you to be like, oh, I made it to the top, but then there's really like another hill that you gotta go up. That's what, but that's what life feels like sometimes, right? But I want you to imagine and picture that you have this mountain in your life that you must climb that you're standing before this mountain and you begin to look at it and say, this is the thing that I must conquer, that I must climb. If you're anything like me and anything like most of those that were found in the crowd that day or most in our crowd here today is that you look at the mountain, you say, I must do this by myself or I must climb this mountain on my own strength. Now, this mountain is metaphorical, of course, and connecting in your life, what's the mountain that you're facing today? Let me just throw just a few thoughts today about what you may be going through that may be the mountain of your life today. Maybe it's grief. That today you are experiencing grief in a way that you could never imagine, in a way you never hoped for, or a way you never dreamed. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one, a loss of a friendship, loss of a relationship. You're experiencing grief today. Maybe that's what you're trying to climb and go go over it. Maybe today you're facing real struggles, financial struggles or health struggles today, and you're trying to find every single way to get out of that place that you are currently in. Or maybe today you're finding yourself in some sort of bondage or some sort of addiction, 
And it's like you keep trying to climb the mountain and get out of it, to be free from it, to find yourself on the other side thinking, praise God that I'm no longer in bondage to that. And so what do you do? You try really, really hard. Each and every single day, you make the promises. You say, I'm never doing that again, only to find yourself in the same boat. Maybe today you just simply feel extremely discouraged by your situations, by what's going on in your life, the struggles that are happening in your life. Maybe today you feel overwhelmed, overwhelmed and just thinking about your family and your kids and the struggles that are going through and how you feel like you have to provide and you have to make all things right and good. And maybe today in all of that, you really just don't have much faith at all that anything will change or that you could even go over the mountain. We love to try, but here's what I think happens oftentimes is that we fail over and over again. Or let me just play this out. Or maybe you actually succeed. I think this is one of the most dangerous places to live in. Is to say that you actually succeed is to say that you actually don't need God. And so what you will do is then continue to go on and on throughout your life with the belief that you don't need him by your side, that you have your own self-sufficiency to climb every mountain that you face. It's exactly where the enemy wants you. But here's what I want to paint a picture for you today, is that we all have the mountains that we got to climb, but Jesus is sitting right over there. He's sitting right next to you. And Jesus' words come to us in Matthew 17. Matthew 17, he says this in verse 20. He said to them, because of your little faith, in connection to, to the disciples, were unable to, to remove a demon. So why couldn't we? He said, because of your little faith. And then he paints this little picture for him. He says, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, something so small, something that seems so insignificant, that if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. And so I think there's this, there's this picture that we're painting here that Jesus is painting that it's just a little bit of faith in me, that just a little bit of faith in me. You see, those that were standing there in the crowd today did not know that Jesus was the Messiah. They did not fully maybe believe that he was the one. Sure, they had seen miracles and they had seen crazy things happen in their life, but as he is teaching them, there's something in their mind that continues to ask, are you really the one? Are you really the son of God? Are you really coming to bring deliverance to all people? And Jesus is almost painting this picture for us that with those in the crowd, if you have just a little bit of faith, just a little bit of faith, here's what you'll find, is that this mountain really can be moved. Or imagine what's happening in your life. If you have just a little bit of faith, then God will be with you. That God will, will help you. That you will see whatever you are facing, whatever you are going through, that you are not alone, but God is moving through you to help you. And what's it say here in our text is that, is that you'll be blessed that's not a feeling. It's not prosperity. It's not all the riches that the world says, but it is a blessed life, a life with God, that you are blessed, that it is well with you. Why? Because God is with you. Man, how crazy is that? You're blessed. You're blessed. 
And then it says, what really is the blessing? As we kind of come to a close here, it says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To the poor, to the tax collectors, to the prostitute, to the rejects of society, to the outsiders. They understood poor. They could offer nothing and achieve nothing. But Jesus says that a little faith in who I am, that a little faith that I'm the Messiah, that you will see the kingdom of God come forth into your life. That in this moment we see truly that he came to them, that he initiated, that he connected with them, he connected with you and with me. He initiated the movement of God, the kingdom of God, and it has been made available to each and every single one of us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. That the kingdom has been made available to you. Well, what does this mean? Well, it says made available today. I want you to see that. It's a present tense. That the kingdom is here today for those who are poor in spirit. A present reality. That God has acted in time and space right here and now that God is entering into a new relationship of blessing. And this kingdom, what does it look like? What is it like to be in the kingdom of God? Well, it's to be under his rule and reign. What does his rule and reign even look like? Well, ask those in verse 23 through 24, but let me elaborate a little bit more. The rule and reign of God, what does it look like? It is if God is in your life. And what is God like? God is gracious. It is the grace of God coming into your life. It is the mercy of God coming into your life. It is forgiveness coming into your life. It is that God sees you and knows you by name. It is that His compassion has come upon you in your situation. It is healing has come. Joy, security has come into your life. And here's what you see all throughout this New Testament is that God's power and authority has become real today in your life. Colossians 1, 13 through 14 says that he has delivered, him being Jesus, has delivered us. God has seen us in our circumstances, delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. What does it take, though, for the crowd to be a part of this kingdom, to live in the blessings of God? It takes just a little bit of faith. Just a little bit of faith. And really, where does the faith come for each of us? It comes from repentance. Change your mind. See me in a new way and in a new light. Repent. Just have a little faith in me. And so, to give you just a few final thoughts here. Compared to our culture, compared to the situation of which we find ourselves in our life, who is actually blessed? Who is actually well off? Who is it? Jesus says it's the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, for yours, is the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to imagine this picture that Jesus' face means everything. You got to picture Jesus sitting down. What does his face look like? 
What does his face look like? Most of us see him still angry and scowling at us. You know who's blessed in my kingdom? Those that repent and believe in me. Those are the ones that are blessed. You can imagine the scowls and the continual things. Those that lay aside all of their ways. Those that completely empty themselves. Those are the ones who are blessed. You can almost see it, right? I don't think it's how he looks at all. Here's a fun thought. Once you imagine Jesus with his iPhone, <laughs> it doesn't have an iPhone at all, but just imagine. And he looks out of the crowd and he sees all the brokenness. He sees all the, all the sinners, all the prostitutes, all the tax collectors, all those who are broken, all those who are in poverty. And he takes the selfie with him and he says, blessed. And he sees them in the crowd. Blessed. Who? The poor. The poor in spirit. You today are blessed. Yours today is the kingdom of heaven. And you have to imagine he's smiling. Why? Because he's just giving good news. He's bringing forth the kingdom of God into your life and in my life. So what does this mean today? What does this mean for you and me? What does it mean for us as we think about today? Really, this question has to hit home. Are any of you poor today? Are any of you poor today? Now, let's look first at financially. Maybe using this interpretive poor today. I asked my son August last night as I was prepping and just sitting on the couch. He came to me and began to share, you know, this is just kind of what I do. I just... I give a sermon, give a give a teaching each and every single week. And I said, we're talking about this word blessed. And I was like, I was like, man, he doesn't even know what blessed means. Or he just may see in our same context. I said, let me just phrase this for you a little bit, August. I said, what if I gave you all the toys in the world? How would that make you feel? To him, that was awesome. He's like, that'd be great. I'd be really happy. So would that make you happy? Yes. I said, what if I took away all of your toys and you had no toys to play with? How would you feel? Sad. It was just quick, sad. I said, okay, let's paint this picture a little bit further. I said, August, what if you could have every toy in the world, but you didn't have your brother? How would you feel? Sad. So which one would you rather have, the toys or your brother? And he was like, ashy. And then I took it a step further. I said, oh. I said, what about if you had all the toys in the world, but you didn't have mommy and daddy? I said, how would you feel? He goes, sad. I said, so which one would you rather have, mommy and daddy or all the toys in the world? I said, mommy and daddy. And hopefully today you feel that in your soul just a little bit. Because what the world is almost painting this picture is that you can have all of it. Chase after the riches, chase after the success, chase after the prosperity. But it's like God is putting this decision for us that you can't have me in the world. You can't have me in the world. And so it's a real simple decision. It's like, who would you rather have? And in the same words that August used, I think is the word that reads truth for me. It's like, y'all can have the world. I'm going to take my mom and dad. If you see God as your heavenly Father, as your loving Father, then here's what you begin to see. Then those that are poor in spirit, those that are poor, those that find themselves without, but with their Father, say, keep it all. I'd rather have Him. Those are the poor in spirit. I'd rather have Him among above everything else. We see that in Paul's words. Nothing is more important to me than Jesus. Nothing. That's the first one. But then there's the second picture as we begin to think about this emptying, the poor in spirit. 
is that today I want to challenge you today to lay aside, to imagine you're holding your cup of everything that you've built, all your successes, all your fame, all your money, all of that, and just empty it. Just empty it today. Lay aside your achievements today. But then I also want to bring to life that some of you today are coming with a lot of baggage and a lot of bondage today. Lay aside your failures empty your failures today. There's no room in God's kingdom for your shame and for your guilt and for your past. He comes and he says, I am making all things new. You know who that includes? Me and you. And so lay aside, empty yourself, all your achievements and all your failures today. And what's God's response? What's Jesus's response? you'll be blessed. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Carrie Tim Boom, she makes this line that I think is so powerful for us. It says, you can never learn that Christ is all that you need until Christ is all that you have. And I pray that that would just live in our hearts this morning. Why do we talk about this? Why is this important today? Because Jesus came, church, today bringing good news, good news to the poor, that this is the gospel, that who is actually blessed in his kingdom, the poor, the poor in spirit. The kingdom of God has been made available, that forgiveness of sins is now a new reality, that new beginnings are happening all across our county, all across this room, that freedom is here and now in Jesus Christ for who? For the poor for the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Today, this is our reality. Today, this is our truth from God's word. And what does it take from you and me to step into this reality, to step into, to step into this kingdom? Just a little bit of faith in who Jesus is and what he has done. Would you stand with us this morning, church? We're gonna pray and we're gonna worship today for the God that brings true blessing into our lives. Heavenly Father, we thank you. But Lord, today as we wrestle, what does it really mean to be blessed? Today, God, you shatter and you break all of our generalizations of our culture and of our world. And today, may we just settle in that what does it really mean to be blessed? Is that it's to be poor to be poor in spirit, but to understand that in our poverty, God, that you are filling us up, that you are making us brand new today, God, that you are redeeming, you are forgiving today, God. And Lord, may we lay ourselves as a church just emptied, emptied before you today, God. And may we begin to experience and feel the blessings, God, of our life, not of what the world calls blessings, but of the reality of knowing you and being under your good rule and your good reign today, Lord. Lord, we pray for all those in the church today, God, they would experience this reality in their life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.